Hello, this is Pastor Jimmy Harper. Thanks for listening to this Lee University broadcast. We're excited that you are joining us today for one of our many campus events. We hope that you are encouraged as you listen. It is good and right that when we come into the house of the Lord, that we first ask Him for forgiveness. All of us know that Christ died for us once and for all, but every day it seems we turn our face away and we need that cleaning, wonderful spirit once again. Therefore, we confess our sins corporately and individually. Please join me in the call to confession printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can change and grant us grace to forgive others. Through Jesus Christ, hear now our silent prayers. Gracious Father, as we continue to pray to you without ceasing, hear the prayers, O oh God. Hear the prayers of your children. And Father, we ask that you would equip us by your Holy Spirit and give us strength to be able to forgive ourselves. Break the chains of guilt, O oh God. Break the ropes of shame that keep us pulled down and renew us, Father, in the strength that you have cleaned us, you have forgiven us, that you love us, that you call us with great and amazing purpose. And Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, equip us to forgive those who have chained us with guilt and burdened us with shame. Father, grant us forgiveness to give freely away so that we can be reconciled, brothers and sisters, your children. Our Father, Lord, we ask this. Clean us and grant us peace. We love you and we ask the same in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns for us. Christ prays for us. Those who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. Be at peace, for you are forgiven. 
Let us stand and respond. Let us pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This morning I'll be reading from Psalms chapter 1 if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles. Blessed the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 and following. I encourage you to grab a pew Bible, or if you have your own Bible, to open it up to John, chapter 15. This particular text, we find Jesus with his disciples at the Passover. Jesus is preparing to be cut. He's preparing to die. The time for talking in parables is over. Jesus is going to use a horticultural image to be very poignant, very straightforward to his disciples. Those of you who are reading along with me, 15 verses 1 and following. Otherwise, listen now for a word from our Lord. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so they'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. By the way, that word withers in Greek is phylloxera. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be my disciple. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be complete in you, that your joy may be complete. Twelve, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This concludes the reading from John chapter 15. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In the early 1800s, even before the gold rush, there was a couple of entrepreneurial young men who stumbled upon a valley just about an hour north of San Francisco. This valley was lush with green grass, rolling hills, live oaks. They spent many days there and many nights. The days were hot and dry. The nights were cool and wet. And what they saw in that valley was a Mediterranean climate. It's the only Mediterranean climate in the entire United States. They looked at all the soil samples within this valley. This valley is only 30 miles long and five miles wide. And the diversity of soils was amazing. There was dark, loamy soils near the ocean. There was rocky, sandy soils farther up. And they saw in this climate the same characteristics as the French vineyards in France, the wine country in Italy and in Greece. And they thought to themselves, hmm, they had an idea. They purchased some parcels of land and they went back to Europe, and they got about a 1,000 rootstocks, cuttings of Pinoir grapes and Cabernet grapes and a wide variety, and they would put a wax on either ends of these rootstocks. They would wrap them very carefully in linen, put them in a crate, and shipped them over to the United States. And then they began to plant these rootstocks in the soil in this valley. Within about five years, these vines were doing beautifully, growing. They were growing French vines there in California. And other people got the idea, hmm, this is a great idea. So they purchased some land, and more people went over to Europe and purchased more rootstock and brought them over and designed their vineyards the same way the French designed their vineyards. The leaves were green and lush but they had not yet produced fruit. About five years into the growing period, it takes a while for the fruit, they were very excited to finally have some grapes on their vines. But all of a sudden, their leaves turned from green to yellow, and they began to shrivel and wither up, and then the leaves turned brown and fell off. And the worst thing happened, the rootstock itself died. At the very same time that this was happening in the United States, the French vineyards, the Italian vineyards, the British vineyards 
All their leaves were turning yellow, then brown, withering up, falling off, and dying. This was an agricultural nightmare. This was an economic disaster. This was an ecclesiastical concern. All of the vineyards were dying. And the French began to freak out, understandably. And so they put up a cash reward. Anybody who could figure out a solution to this blight would have quite a bit of money. All sorts of people came out of the woodwork with solutions, with uh, snake oils. One guy said, bury dead frogs along the perimeter of your vineyard. Another priest, in fact, he he's began to produce these stone crosses that were to get rid of the evil spirits. And today, if you go to France, you will see these stone crosses dotted across the countryside. But there was one man who wasn't concerned and interested in a cash reward. He was a botanist. And all he was interested in was the mystery of this plant. So he got a ticket from France and came over to this valley in California. And he began to walk around it, camp, and spent many, many days. By the time he got there, all the vineyards were dead. So what caught his attention were there were some grapevines that were living. Native American grapevines. He took the Native American grapevines and he took the dead Pinoir or Cabernet wines, vines, and he began to look at them under a microscope. And what he found was a little demon called Phylloxera. Phylloxera is this tiny, tiny little aphid that burrows holes into the roots and begins to eat away at the roots. For somehow, that little phylloxera, which is native to North America, somehow caught a ride on some farmer and made it over to Europe, where all the vineyards were dying. There is no cure for phylloxera. This young botanist tried everything, from drowning them in lots and lots of water, to insecticides, the only cure for phylloxera is grafting, is grafting. You have to take a Native American root that somehow negotiated the ravage effects of phylloxera, somehow be a, was able to defend itself. You take the Native American rootstock, and then you can take your pinoir or your cabernet or your concord, and you graft it in. And when it grows, you will have whatever grape you grafted into that Native American rootstock. Essentially, almost all of European vineyards to this day are Native American rootstock. This is how you graft. You take a vine that is coming up near the rootstock, underneath the canopy of green, and you cut it right at the top. And then you split it right down the middle. Then you take whatever grape you want, maybe a pinoir, and you take that ending and you shave it off almost into a wedge. Then you take your pinoir and you put it into your vine. Then you wrap it real, real tight with twine. On a cellular level, what's happening is the cells begin to merge within each other so that the rootstock can bring nutrients to the leaves and give you 
fruit. Now, Jesus didn't have to look at his disciples on Passover and give them a tutorial about how grapes are planted, how they're grown, how they're grafted, how they're pruned. He didn't have to give them a lecture on how growing grapes because the people he was talking with were grape people. They lived around vineyards. They planted vineyards. People had their own family vineyards for their own drink and their own grapes. They knew all about grapes. All Jesus had to say to them that day was, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Any branch that withers is cut away. What Jesus essentially is saying to his disciples is he's saying, your calling, your vocation, your sole purpose in life is to produce fruit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, and self-control. And the greatest of these is love. Against these there is no law. We are called to take our heart, our desire, and to shape it into a wedge so much that we decrease and he increases. That we can be grafted in so that we can produce fruit. Now many of us have taken the spiritual gifts inventory. Sunday schools like to pass that around. and You fill out, you know, your personality and what you like and what you don't like. Jesus doesn't say anything about the disciples' personality or their hobbies or their skills, or their talents, or what they're good at. He says nothing about their ability, but only the possibility of their availability. He says this is nothing about your gifts or your talents. This is about being grafted into me. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. Without Jesus, without Christ, joy is not real joy. Apart from Christ, hope is not real hope. Apart from Christ, love is a cheap imitation. It is those plastic rubbery fruit that collect dust, right? Apart from Christ, he says, you can do nothing. You cannot produce the fruit. Last Thursday, I spoke in the Con Chapel. And I spoke on 1 Kings chapter 22, and very briefly, I said that 1 Kings chapter 22 was a Wesleyan Calvinistic passage. I brought those two together. After the service, someone came up to me and they said, I don't see how Wesley and Calvin have anything in common. You should have never put them together. Friends, what does a Concord grape have in common with a Pinoir? What does a Pinoir grape have in common with a Zinfandel? What does a Zinfandel have in common with any of the other grapes? The rootstock. In Napa Valley, there are 40 different types of varieties of grapes, and they all are connected to the same rootstock. What does a Calvinist have to do with Wesley? What does a Catholic have to do with a Protestant, an Episcopalian? with a Pentecostal, a Baptist, and a Methodist. What do they have in common? 
This is what Jesus says. My command to you is to love one another. Love each other. The fruit of the Spirit, love. God's purpose for us is to produce fruit. And in order to produce fruit, we have to be grafted into the vine. But in order for that graft to take place, that vine has to be cut. Because no greater love than this, than to lay his life down for you. Friends, in this vast diversity in this room and in this university, we come together this morning in the unity to remember that vine that was cut for us. This is not a Pentecostal table, or a Catholic table, or a Presbyterian table, or a Wesleyan table, or a conservative table, or a Lutheran table, or a liberal table. This is the Lord's table. And anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has been grafted into the body, is welcome to the family meal. Please join me in the Sursum Corda, which is printed in your bulletin. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Indeed, Father, it is right to give you our thanks and praise. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. With thanksgiving, we take this bread and this cup and proclaim the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Receive our sacrifice of praise, O God. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this meal that it may be a communion in the body and blood of Jesus. Make us one with Christ and one with all who share this feast. Unite us in faith, encourage us with hope, and inspire us to love, that we may serve as your faithful disciples until we feast at your table in glory. We praise you, eternal God, through Christ your word made flesh in the holy and life-giving spirit, now and forever and forevermore. Amen. This morning we'll be taking communion through intinction. We invite you to come row by row and the nave to come down the center aisle and the transepts. There'll be someone to serve both transepts and we invite the balcony to come in your own time. Coming forward, taking a piece of bread, dipping it off in the cup. We also have gluten-free wafers available. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, do so in remembrance of me. The bread of life. Likewise, he took the cup. And as he poured, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. Whenever you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. This is the cup of salvation. Thanks be to God. Would my servers please come forward?
These are the gifts of God for the people of God. The table is now ready. Let us pray. Gracious God, in this community, there are many of us who are hurting. And I pray, Father, for those who have lost loved ones, for those who are struggling with finances, those who are struggling with physical ailments, those who are struggling with depression, those who are longing to be with their loved ones but who are incarcerated. Gracious God, may this meal that you have given to us been cut for our transgressions, Lord, by your power, your equipping of your Holy Spirit. May you nourish us, feed us, sustain us so much that we can be your hands and your feet and your voice in this broken world. May we truly be thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name in the sweet and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. People of God, I charge you to go forth from this place, being grafted into God and producing fruit. I charge you to show sacrificial love to all those that you meet. And as you do so, may God nourish you today. May God sustain you tomorrow. And may God be with us all for everlasting life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.